This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. It's Well, coming you to you from my secure bunker. Isn't that is that eleven Levin thing? Mark Levin coming to the underground bunker. <laughs> coming <laughs> to you from my West Coast bunker or whatever nonsense that is. Hey, it's uh it's the church boys. It's we're here, we're you know, we're not going skiing. It is I, Chris Field, and, and, and that's that that is a uh, an old uh, G Man thing. It is I, G Gordon Liddy, <laughs> known irreverently to some as the G Man. You're out of control today. I know. So, uh, so I'm coming to you from the West Coast as usual, and Billy's coming to you from the East Coast as usual, but a particularly stinky East Coast. Is that correct, uh, Mr. <laughs> Hallowell? Did we, have a, uh, did we have a little accident, kinda, Mr. Hallowell? Yeah, yeah it's kind of... We, we have been potty training over here. And, who's we? Um, no, wait, who's we? You? You and well, Andrea? I'm, I'm semi-potty trained, but we've been trying to potty train my daughter, who will be three, and she's pretty much potty trained. Like She goes... Oh, that's good. On the potty when it comes to potty, but she'll like just hold number two poop um, for days. Like she'll just hold it because she doesn't want to go. So eventually it's like, okay, it's been a lot of days. We now need to give her prune juice to make this happen, right? right. It needs to happen now. Um, and so. Are you, you sure? Know, wait, wait. Are you sure she's not just going somewhere secretly? Oh, we're positive. Okay. She, she'll try. She would try to do that. But if you look at her, she'll say, don't look at me. <laughs> You know, so, um, yeah, we're positive she's not. And and her spots are like, it's like a dog, you know, where they're going to go. You know, right. they under the table, in the corner. But <clears throat> nothing happened when we gave her the prune juice. And then, like, 12 hours later, it was like, Daddy, I poop in. And it was just happening everywhere. Oh. And so there were, like, accidents everywhere. It was like having a dog. So crazy. Billy Hollow's coming from his feces-covered <laughs> home. <laughs> so uh what was i gonna ask you about there was a there's a whole lot going on today when we're recording this and uh oh crap i pushed the wrong button here sorry the whole lot going on in the world as we're recording this and one of the things that's going <laughs> you can't, can't even talk about I it i can't because it just makes me laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh so Okay, so here, just a second, awkward transition. <clears throat> so. <laughs> <laughs> you really can't make it through it. That's night on headline news. <laughs> well, I mean, do you want me to Lay take off it? me. Do you want... <laughs> Lay off me, I'm starving. <laughs> oh my God, you're awful. <laughs> Okay. Oh, yeah. You don't even nobody even did knows you do that the you're laughing at because you can't even get through. Did it you do the write up of this story? You know what I'm talking about. Did you do the write up of this story? Is that your story? I did. Yeah. Okay, because I saw it every place. But <laughs> <laughs> start the story. Oh, golly sake. Okay, oh. the story that Chris is talking about, since he actually cannot get through it, is um, this transgender journalist who uh, oh. basically got into a scuffle. If that's what you'll call it, um, <laughs> <laughs> and threatened a conservative commentator 
Um, I mean, I would call it a threat, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. you're gonna, you're gonna wind up with the East River. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is out of control. All right, let me let me break it down because Chris legitimately cannot handle this. I can't. It is transgender reporter Zoe Turr, um, born a man, has gone through I I don't know surgical transition, but has transitioned publicly to a a woman. um, Got into a fight with conservative commentator Ben Shapiro on the air on Thursday night um, over Caitlyn Jenner. The discussion was it was a panel with four or five people on it talking about whether or not Caitlyn Jenner deserved. The award, you know, the award that the ESPY award, the Arthur Ashe award. And and so they go back and forth. The interesting thing is Zoe Turr, again, who's also transgender, said and built like you know, a line. Not. And oh, wait, and built like a linebacker. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> you are awful. Um, Zoe Turr said, you know, probably not actually didn't deserve the award. And but it was interesting. I mean, right. Ben Shapiro was like the only one on the panel. And, no, and ben, if you don't know Ben Shapiro, he's a conservative. Didn't Zoe originally kind of come out and say, so Zoe was indicating support for Caitlyn Guinea, kind of, but Shapiro kind of made a point like this is not something that you give awards for. And Zoe was no, kind of no, turned she on actually it. said from the be- no from the beginning, Tur oh, okay. was like no. I thought, I thought Tur was a little bit more kind of Probably give award, not. but that was the exact wording. Okay. Probably not when it comes to deserving it, but said. But said, well, you know, it takes a lot of courage. It's like the most courageous thing you can do to be transgender. So there were two different issues, the award and then being transgender. So, you know, th- they start getting into a battle, though, because, you know, Dr. Well, Drew right. says says to Ben Shapiro something about a battle, you know, that that uh, Caitlyn Jenner has been in this battle. And Ben Shapiro says, quote, what exactly is the battle? I mean, self-definition is what you do. My baby's doing it at 18 months old. Right. Uh, and then and then he says, yeah, I wasn't aware that you get a medal for it. So that right. kind of started it. Right. But, and but that's that's heated a, up. And, and, and that's a fair point. And this is a show that's meant to be heated up. So you can't come on and play Mr. Nice Guy. It was supposed to be. I mean, it was a three on three thing. There was a panel and then what Dr. Drew called the audience. And it was three people in the audience who disagreed with Caitlyn Jenner getting the ESPY award, or the Arthur Ashe award. It's what has how I watched it. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, I, I think the the thing about this is is that it's a sensitive topic when you've brought someone in who's transgender to talk about it, right? Yeah. So you you now have somebody who has a vested interest in the discussion at hand because they like Caitlyn Jenner have gone through this experience and and they have very specific views. So, but that did not stop Ben Shapiro from sharing. His views. Okay, so now I want to play some of this clip, and we're not playing it for entertainment value. We're playing it for because there's a news hook here. Because you have to. This sets up what happens. Where Ben Shapiro <laughs> accuses her of not wanting to have a diet, and Tur says, "Lay off me, I'm starving." Stop. <laughs> the old Chris Farley routine. I'm sorry. Okay, so to set this up, they're saying, you know, there's a debate going on about Caitlyn Jenner receiving the. Arthur Ashe Award, and then they say to Zoe, what, let Zoe say something. And so that's, can we pick up there? Is that okay? Or did you want to yeah, add something before we do that? Okay, let's see if this works here. Listen to Zoe. Let's Listen to Zoe. Okay, uh, Zoe, go ahead. Good try. <laughs> you have to bifurcate it. Did she deserve the honor? Probably not. Is she brave? Okay. Sorry, just a second. <laughs> is, anyone, all... is anyone else hearing Owen Wilson? <laughs> Sounds exact. <laughs> Zoe... To her, it sounds just like Owen Wilson. I apologize, but that's the voice that Zoe has. 
of course she's brave. All those years invested is is this sports legend to come out transgender. Lovely is purple dress. difficult. It is the most difficult thing you can do. I've been overseas. I've flown uh, helicopter missions, surveillance missions. I've been shot, stabbed. Being brave is being yourself, and being transgender is is about the bravest thing you can do. Did she deserve the award? Yes. Why are we mainstreaming delusion? Uh, it's not delusion. Why? It's why would you delusion. call it delusion? Because. Bruce, Caitlyn Jenner. Okay, and that's where the, the and that's where the interview starts to go really downhill. Are the but the yes that I want to quote the yes when when um, that that yes pops out. It's not a yes to the award. It was a yes to a comment that somebody else had made earlier. Right. Um, Tur had said no, no, probably not right. for deserving the award, which I do think is an interesting stance for right. somebody who's transgender to have to say no, right. you know, probably not. It's, he says courageous, but it's not you know is it right. deserving of an award. Okay, so here we go. I'll call him Caitlyn Jenner no, because it's that's her. Not, You're be not her. being polite to the pronoun. Because disrespect. Okay. <laughs> we have a new we have a new phrase. Polite to the pronouns. <laughs> You're okay. not being polite to the pronouns. No, that woman, that woman, it's I don't know an who annoying... she is. I don't know who she is. That that was not that was not Tur who was no, going on and on. Uh, it was well, some other not. woman. She did not sound like Owen Wilson. It, was, it certainly wasn't Zoe to her. <laughs> you are out of control. I don't, but I don't know. I don't know who she was, but she was very angry during that segment. Very okay. angry. All right, here we go. Forget about the disrespect. Facts don't care about your feelings. It turns out that every chromosome, every cell in Caitlyn Jenner's body is male, with the exception of some of his sperm cells. You it turns out that his brain structure is male. Wait, I need it to... turns out that he still has all of his male appendages. But How this... he feels on the inside is irrelevant but... to the question of his biological sex. I don't agree with that. I'm not on that train. <laughs> I'm not on that train. Okay, that voice you're hearing now, that voice you're hearing now is another of the quote audience, which was Zoe and Ben and then this third gentleman. Who say who also and, said and by the way it was not an audio. I mean what a stupid way to word it. Yeah, it was a weird. panel. It was a giant yeah. panel. It's I'm not saying on, you're stupid right, for wording it right, that no, way. I think a, the show is. Yeah, but it's a three on three panel thing. But they rather anyway. This guy was also someone who said that that Caitlyn shouldn't have received the award. Okay, back to it. She wants to be called she. I'm going to call her she. I just have a problem with the message and the messenger. So, well, let's let's now let's. I'm going to do two things. I want to re reiterate what Zoe said, which is the bifurcation of Dr. the courage to come forward after a lifetime as a male and a certain kind of a male, versus did she deserve this award? Listen, awards. What are award ceremonies except oh, an opportunity to catch some eyes? And Dr. Drew's right on this. Yeah. <laughs> ESPN. Well, well done, ABC. Yeah. They did exactly what their job was: oh, attract eyes. They did it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But, I that is irritating to me that they did exactly what their job is. Yes, award shows are garbage most of the time. Right. Fine. But this particular award show is supposed to be honoring people. It's not this is not the Grammys or some other, you know, piece of garbage award show, you know, not that the Grammys are horrible, but you know what I'm saying? It's an award show that is supposed to have this particular award supposed to have a bigger purpose. That was right. the whole argument. So it's a little disingenuous of Dr. Drew, who you very clearly can understand where he stands on this issue based on what he says throughout, to be like, oh no, this is no big deal. But you know, I, I expect I'm, I'm, nothing I'm, less from America's favorite doctor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm 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 clearly gearing up for an outrage of the week. All right, which we will have later. Tease. Here we go. In terms of the science behind gender uh, dysphoria, you, you're very familiar with that, Zoe. Very familiar. It's not about the chromosome. Excuse me, the chromosomes within we our both know nuclei. Our yeah, chromosomes go Chromosomes don't necessarily mean you're male or female. Gen. <laughs> Did you hear that comment? 
chromosomes don't necessarily mean you're male or female. Okay, and so, well, and you know, Ben has an I, issue with that. But wait, wait, before you roll it, and I think what's interesting here is just to listen closely to what Tur brings up when it comes to chromosomes. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. With gender, gender identity, go ahead. No, so. Especially, but, but even so, you have a thing like Kleinfelter's syndrome. So you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you're not educated on genetics. Well, to discuss the genetics? Or well, no? Well, no, what no. are your genetics? So I'd stay away from the genetics. Okay. But wait, so they're bringing, so Tur brings up a genetic, I would imagine, and in fact, I have in front of me right now, because I was really interested, I didn't know what that was, right. Kleinfelter syndrome, and sure. I was looking it up. And it's a condition in which the male physique and cognitive development are impacted. It's a chromosomal condition, right? right. So that's a medical condition. And I'm on yes. a government website right now reading that. And I, again, I'm not an expert on it. I don't know. But I think the issue that, you know, in defense of Ben Shapiro, and then I have some other things to say on the other side of it, it it's sort of odd to me that you're bringing up a chromosomal issue when really there isn't evidence of that on the transgender issue, correct? Right. I mean, am I wrong? Right. I'm, again, no, I I'm not right. an expert on this, but... No, I, th I, think you're, I think you're spot on. Now, this is where things start getting really testy, is that Ben Shapiro says to Zoe, what are your chromosomes, sir? Now, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. People have issues with him saying, sir, and that he was rude to Zoe. He may or may not have been rude to Zoe. He, he may have been provoking in calling Zoe, sir. However, what you don't know without seeing the video is that Zoe has placed a hand on Shapiro's shoulder and later moves the hand to the back of Shapiro's neck later on in this, uh, in just a few seconds later in the video. So Zoe is being extremely aggressive and extremely rude. And Zoe is the one who lays hands on somebody well, and, it's Sh actually and Shapiro odd. reacts. I, it's odd to lay. I mean, look, I've, I've been in these interview situations. You have too, where things can be testy and there can be, I've never once thought, in especially in a news interview, to touch the person next to me. That was odd, right? And and it's and it's without seeing the video, and we're laughing about it because there is something cartoonish about it. Okay, but at the same time, you have to see Zoe's mannerisms as Zoe is speaking to Shapiro, and Zoe's a okay. I'll just say it, is a man in a dress. That's, I mean, that's the total vibe you get when you watch it. You, if you didn't know anything about this and all you did was you clicked it and turned it on and you saw Zoe there speaking, you'd say, that's a, that's a large man in a dress, not a fat man, but a large well-built man in a dress. That's what you, that's what a normal person would think. That's what I thought when I first saw it without ever seeing or hearing the news about it. I just hit play and I go, that looks like a man in a dress. Now there are a lot of mannish women too where you would say that looks like a man in a dress. This isn't this isn't supposed to be a make fun of Zoe at least not at this moment time. It is simply Zoe is an intimidating figure and Zoe puts a hand on Shapiro's shoulder and then puts a hand on Shapiro's neck and grabs him by the back of the neck when he says the, the following words. Okay, so we'll, I I went backwards about 10 seconds so we'll we'll start this again here. Oh, you have a thing like Kleinfelter's syndrome. So, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not educated on genetics. Was to discuss the genetics? Or well, well, no, what no. Are your genetics. So I, I, I'd stay away from the genetics and back to the brain scans. You cut that out now, or you'll go home in an ambulance. Yeah, that seems mildly inappropriate for a political discussion. Okay, 
So Zoe just threatened him. You cut that out. You cut that out now. You're going to wind up in an ambulance. I mean. Now, okay. But let me, was, and I'm, I'm going to play the other side okay, of this. Okay, and you should. You should. <clears throat> okay. Because, look, this is somebody who has experienced, I thought it was gender dysmorphia, but the way that Dr. Drew pronounced it was not that way. So I, it was gender dysphoria, I think he said. Yeah. So, I, again, I'm not a medical expert. But either way, this is somebody who believes that they are trapped in the wrong body. And it's somebody who believes it so much that they have uh, made themselves appear to be the opposite gender that, that they were born. Okay, right. right. <clears throat> so... I think when you when you purposefully, I assume, to make a point in an argument, call that person sir. And I get it. I know from Ben Shapiro's perspective here, he's making a point that this is a man. You are probably, and this is what other people on the panel said, going to really rile that person. Right, you're provoking. Up. You're absolutely. He was provoking. Now, now, is it appropriate to respond with you're going to go in an ambulance? Right no. now, now, and that's the th- and that's the thing is that. Do I think that it was provocative of Ben Shapiro to say, what are your genetics, sir? Yes. Do I think he was purposefully provocative? Probably. Do I think that he thought in his mind this would be a line or calling Zoe, sir, would be something that would really get people riled up? And I'm going to keep that in my arsenal. Very, very possibly, maybe even likely. I can't get into Ben's brain. I don't, I'm not giving him a pass on it. I'm just saying we, don't, we simply don't know. But he called. But he didn't utter that phrase. I think what pushed him over the edge to say it, if it was in, the, if it was in his subconscious to say it, what pushed him over the edge was that Zoe grabbed him by the back of the neck, or grabbed him by the shoulder, and then grabbed him by the neck of the neck. It's after he says that, he he says to him, "Yeah, you cut that out, or you're gonna go home and send. You're gonna go home in a body bag. I mean, that's like you're gonna fit you out for a nice pair of cement shoes. I mean, well, I think if the tables him. were turned and Ben Shapiro had said something like that to Zoe. It would have been an outrage, right? So, oh, sure. Look, and the, and I mean, the, and Zoe, and Zoe knows, Zoe knows his her physique. Zoe understands. I am Zoe's a bigger person than Shapiro physically, well, and, and Zoe made that clear when when calling Shapiro a tiny man, right? And grinned by the back. Yeah, later on, and I have the clip ready, but we don't have to worry about. It. He says, "You're just, just a tiny say... man. It's just full of hate." And he's like, "I'm not. What am I being hateful?" He says, "All I'm saying is, and that's worth a discussion because we have that clip available, but it's worth a discussion." Shapiro says, "I'm not being hateful. I'm just saying your chromosomes say you're a man. That doesn't mean I hate you. I'm just stating facts." I would, I would say, and I hate when people throw terms around. I actually want to make it my life's work to compile a list of all the words that people in this country have ruined, like courage and all these other words that we have no clue what they mean anymore because we've muddied them into complete chaos. But, you know, I would, I'm not going to go calling somebody hateful, but I think, you know, you're on a, you're dancing on a line when you intentionally offend somebody on something. Okay. Not that I'm calling them him hateful. I'm saying you, you are dancing on a line. I'm not defending at all the reaction to that because I think it's appalling that somebody in a live TV, I assume this, it was either live or pre taped, sure. a show that aired on national television yeah. would threaten to have somebody leave in an ambulance. Yeah. Uh, that, that's and it just wasn't, not, and it not wasn't right. like a joking. Now, he was speaking, I don't think he was really going to require an ambulance but he wasn't just simply joking either if you watch that there is serious anger in zoe's eyes well there's a moment I mean, he's, to a pause i think even and, it's um, like, and you see i mean he reaches over and just grabs shapiro or zoe reaches over and grabs shapiro by the back of the neck and says you listen here you knock it can off I, can i say one more thing about about this and i know this will upset some listeners probably 
I don't know that there's any issue. I think that you can live in both worlds where you say, I'm very concerned about this issue of transgender, um, you know, gender reassignment becoming normalized. I think you can say that. But I think you probably could also respect pronouns if you choose to. I don't I don't know. Look, if somebody wants to be called that, fine. That's what they want to be called. They want to be called a her if they were born a him and vice versa. I don't know that that bothers me. I I think I, I think not like when you're writing a story and we've had these discussions internally to, you know, how do you address? Well, we should be using the names. We shouldn't be using him or her anyway. But pronouns get very confusing in writing anyway. Good writing. You don't right. simply use pronouns. You use the person's name. Right. And I think especially like, for instance, if you're writing a story with more than one person's name or where you have family member, five different family members with the same last name, it gets confusing. But but, you know, if if somebody wants to be called that, I think there's an interesting discussion about that. But that's, you know, like, look, if, if somebody says I'm a woman, and you're calling them he over and over and over again. You know, it's problematic. But again, Ben Shapiro was in a tough spot because you've got somebody on who's transgender. His belief is that this is a mental illness that's being normalized. And so he's automatically calling that person mentally ill to their face. So they're going to be defensive to begin with. And then when you say the word, sir, I think it sort of it sort of tips it over the edge. But again, that would never in no other context would this be tolerated. And what was a little bit troubling to me was that people were like, well, to be fair, you know, the audience slash panel, to be fair, you're being very rude to her. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You're not concerned with a threat that was just made on your right. set. Dr. Well, Drew, I know that you're staring off vacantly for 90% of the episode, <laughs> but you can't stop for a second to say this is inappropriate. And you just and you look at it and you think, you want to be treated like a lady, but then this is what you do. I mean, is there anything more, I think all upon this word was cartoonishly masculine than saying you're going to send somebody home in an ambulance? I mean, that's what a New York man says to a guy on the street. Not a a lady in a purple dress. <laughs> you love talking about this dress. Well, listen, I mean, the Zoe fact just the, looks lovely. I must say the fact the fact is that I think really there should have been a little bit more of, uh, you know, I mean, listen, if a, if a Westboro protester came up and I'm not comparing, you know, anybody to, to Westboro, anybody, but sure. I'm just saying if a Westboro protester came up and said something awful, and somebody threatened them physically, that would still be a problem no matter how much we dislike what Westboro protesters right. are saying. Absolutely. So I I just think that that to me bothered me about the clip is that nobody said, hey, I understand he's being grossly offensive and we can't stand what he's, what he's saying, but that's not okay. Uh, well, and it's, you're right. And, and, but what we also have to understand is we can't judge the entire debate and discussion on this show. This show is designed to be that kind of a show. The clip that we saw, that we saw, that's that's ratings gold for them. That's what they want. It's gold, Jerry, gold. I mean, that's what Dr. Drew is thinking when that happens. And so the other Hello. thing, I'm, I'm going to turn your mic down. <laughs> um, the other thing that, that uh, really got me was that later on, people are, are going after Zoe on Twitter and not necessarily going after, but criticizing Zoe on tw- Twitter, uh, saying things like, you know, transgender people shouldn't be threatened with violence, but those who disagree with their views should be. And Zoe responds with, being called sir and being called mentally ill is violence. And you just think, since when is that actually violence? That makes absolutely no sense. Totally detached from reality, but we live in a world detached from reality. We're going to take a break real quick, and we will, we've will. we got a few special things lined up for you. we got a call we got to make. We're going to call somebody in uh, and talk to them about the, uh, the Chattanooga shooting. 
and uh, get their opinion. It's a military wife and some other uh, with some very good insight on some of these kinds of issues. And we've also got a great interview. Uh, we'll tease that later, but um, we got a great interview coming up. We got a couple of phone calls we're going to have, and uh, we will be right back. And now, back to the church boys. They're a real pain in my ass. All right, so we promised you a phone call with Sarah Rivette, and uh, my understanding is that she is home. So Billy's going to dial her up uh, right now. We'll see if we can't interrupt her. Uh, <laughs> she's busy. Last we checked, she was busy um, milking the nipples of hippies to get uh, essential oils. So we'll see if she can take a break. Uh, uh, well, that. you know, and just so you know, if you don't know, because a lot of you don't get to hear much from Sarah because she does more <laughs> editing than she does writing. Right. But... Um, she really has a thing for essential oils. Are you and calling we'll her? Ask her about that. Okay, here we go. I'm dial. It's <laughs> dialing right now, and uh, she's become ob- I would say obsessed <laughs> with essential oils. <laughs> and now she's not going to answer. Well, hello. <laughs> well, hello. Hello. How are my two favorite church boys? We're good. We're good. How are you? We're doing all right. I'm doing well. Well, so, we were just telling the listeners about how you have an insatiable lust for essential oils. And that you squeeze essential oils out of the nipples of hippies. I, I alleged that. Well, well, we do not forcefully uh, flat milk anybody against their will. We, oh we make it volunteer only. Do you pay them? No, but you are like really into essential oils. It's a thing. It is a thing. It's absolutely a thing. I've replaced my medicine cabinet, my um, all of my beauty products. Um, I have them everywhere, hiding in different corners of the house. I use them for everything. Okay, so I don't understand. I've, I hear people say the word essential oils. I have never even looked up the term essential oils on the internet. I have no idea what the essential oils world is. Can you explain this to me? I know this isn't what we <laughs> what we were going to talk to you about, but and we'll get into the other stuff in a minute. But what are essential oils? Well, actually, there is a whole biblical tie-in with essential oils. Um, oh, great! A Bible lecture. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, wait! Do you think we have time for a Bible lecture on this show? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's the what's the alleged biblical tie-in here, Rebet? <laughs> so, two of the three gifts presented at the birth of Jesus were. Oh, you're going to go with the Jesus. Birth. You're going to go and, with the Jesus thing. Okay. All right. Fine. Go ahead. Yeah, of course. Of course. What else would I do? Um, so frankincense and myrrh were at the time two herbal remedies that were presented to kings as gifts for births, weddings, um, all kinds of things. And, and they death. were coveted for their medicinal properties. Wait, and, and for death too, isn't it an embalming thing? Yeah, uh, they were used impartially for, in parts of embalming, but I'm not so familiar with how they're used in the dead, more so with how they're used in the living. Okay. Well, there you go. But, uh. So. Yeah, so they basically there's um, is a whole movement for homeopathic remedies and kind of taking your own health care into your hands and essential oils are a big portion so. of that because you can basically find an oil to re- like take care of any ailment like for allergies or for pain relief or for all this other stuff. There's actually this whole huge debate going on right now with the FDA because they are cracking down on the claims that essential oil companies are making. So they're trying to get their hands in the pockets of essential oils because um, people are turning to that over 
commercial medication, which obviously the FDA has a big stake in, thanks to big pharmaceutical companies. Wait, you so actually sound theory. like a lobbyist. You should lobby for the essential oils. I actually wrote a letter to my congressman last night about oh, it. Shut <laughs> You have way too much time on your hands. So uh, do you... Okay, I'm, I'm going to sound totally ignorant on this. Well, I am ignorant on this. I'm ignorant on a lot of things. Uh, you could have stopped with, I am ignorant. <laughs> right. <laughs> but on this issue especially, do you consume essential oils? I consume a very specific brand <clears throat> of essential oils that I trust. Um, I wouldn't go, like if you go to your local grocery store, you're probably going to see essential oils there, and they're probably labeled 100% pure. Um kind of like the label and they have to do that based on FDA regulations and kind of like the labels like all natural and organic on other food items. Right. It's not necessarily true. So I wouldn't recommend consuming all essential oils that you see everywhere around the world. But the ones that I use, I feel safe ingesting them. So, so. So all of the essential oils, is, is the point of essential oils to consume them, or is there some of them you're supposed to rub on a, on your skin kind of deal? Um, you can use them. <laughs> We're getting into a little lesson here. Um, where you, can, you can ingest them. You can use them um, topically for, like, uh, on your skin or, like, um, rubbing into, like, for, like, massage, like, their therapeutic aromatherapy qualities. And then the other way to do it is to diffuse in your house. So that way, like you're purifying and, and cleaning the air and kind of getting the, the benefits of them by having them dispersed into the air that way. Okay. So I, okay, I have two more questions I got to ask. One, are you a hippie? By many people's definition, yes. <laughs> okay. The other question I have, and this comes from Billy. He was too embarrassed to ask himself. I don't know why. Does it cure crabs? <laughs> that never came out of my mouth. I cannot with you. I can. I, I'm actually stumbling for words because I'm remembering a lesson that Sarah and I once oh, had no. in college about. Oh, no. I don't even want to get into it, but do you remember trichomoniasis, Sarah? Yes, the lice, the pubic lice. Yeah. <laughs> this, no, the reason I bring it up is because for some reason we learned about that, and I mean, it was like driven home in college that you can get an STD from sitting on somebody's bed next to them. Oh, really? Well, this was also at the College of Mount St. Vincent, where as soon as anybody moved into the dorms, roaches were everywhere. So and and name the school. Well, it's a hippie. It's a hippy dippy commune, so of course you're going to be spreading disease. Nobody bathes or showers anyway. You're all you're all covered in essential oils, thinking that's going to solve problems. There you go. But to answer to answer your question, Chris, I don't know if it would cure crabs, but I know that there are oils that will help treat and maybe like decrease the wait a second infected area <laughs> you happen you wait a second you know for a fact that there is an oil designed to treat crabs not necessarily cure them but to uh, what how do you know this I, well good well, god okay, so, woman and i'm not saying that there's not an oil that would be specific to crabs but there is an oil that would be used for any kind of skin irritation um infection outbreak uh, rash, eczema, that could help Okay. maybe lessen its severity. Okay, I see. Gotcha. All right. Now, Because it's not, it's not like one oil only does one thing. One okay. oil does like hundreds of different things, and there's hundreds of different applications oh, that you can okay. use for each, every, each single oil. Gotcha. Now, where do these oils come from? Oh my God, Chris, you are so into well, this but right it's, now. Well, it's fascinating to me I because know. understanding hippie culture is, is amazing to me, so...
Where do, where do the oils come from? Do they so, come from um, plants? Uh, they come from plants and um, plants and trees and things like that. So it's like, you, you know how grandpa used to make um, liquor in the backyard with that well, like fancy still contraption? Yeah, I, d- I don't because my family's all teetotalers. But of course, you would be quite familiar <laughs> with the whole the whole process, I'm sure. I was. Um, you got a so you got a bath. Sarah has for, for people who don't know, Sarah has a bathtub full of gin. <laughs> I wish I had a bathtub full of gin. <laughs> okay, so they come from plants. Okay, all right, and it's distilled like the old, yeah, like the old you know moonshine guys. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and like if you you know um, just to give you an idea, like. A one drop of lemon essential oil is equivalent to, I think, like 20 entire lemons. That's kind of how many, how much you need of a certain plant um, in order to get oh. to the, the the essential oil. Gotcha. So this is okay. So I, what, essentially, you're just a sucker for some market that you're you're paying thousands of dollars, and somebody's making a, a just a boatload of money off people like you, and uh, and Ooh, li- living high on the hog out on their yacht. Throw so, down. That's fine. Sarah would end our friendship over an essential oil. Of course, so you better she would. watch yourself. I would end my friendship with you oh, over I mean, a sandwich. That far. <laughs> what, Chris? Why don't you talk to Sarah about why you brought her here instead of torturing her about her second. obsession with All essential right, oils? Fine, fine. Awkward transition. Now, <laughs> Sarah, you've been working on a uh, on some um, editorials and things, uh, and dealing with some contributor contributor. Uh, text and I know that you have expressed some of your own thoughts on this about the Chattanooga shooting uh, that happened this week. Um, four dead Marines and yeah. some other injured folks and uh, an att- Billy is so just annoying. He's way <laughs> you can't see him. He's got his back scratcher. Sorry, <laughs> it's totally irreverent to say while well, I'm trying to talk about this story. But in Chattanooga, he, he this guy, um, this Muslim terrorist, essentially uh, shot up at two different military installations seven miles apart in Chattanooga and, and killed at least four Marines and wounded others. <clears throat> but you had a, a unique take on it. Would you, and you're a military wife, would you kind of tell people what your thought process has been through this whole, um, this whole ordeal? Well, yeah. I mean, so first of all, as soon as I see anything dealing with an active shooter situation in a military base, my, my heart just automatically starts to break and I am getting a little emotional thinking about it right now. I'm kind of tearing up. Like I don't, I'm not a crier. Billy can attest to this. So the fact that, you know, I'm sharing this is, is, is pretty, pretty big deal because I'm kind of a private person, but in general, it is so devastating to me that we have situations like this happening. And it's, I mean, obviously it's devastating when anybody dies right. for any kind of violence in any kind of in anywhere in the world. But I, I'm so close to this and I have spent so much time with people in the military. I'm married to my husband's in the air force. I spent time deployed. I was deployed for 16 months in Afghanistan from February, 2012 until May, 2013. And I attended what are called ramp ceremonies there where they, after a casualty on the battlefield, they would perform this ceremony as a way to send for for the um, service members, uh, comrades to send him off on his way home on his final flight. 
and it would be a ceremony on the airfield with um, all of the dignity and, and pomp and circumstance that you can imagine that the military puts on when a member of their own falls like that. And it is just, I, I, I can't stand the thought that this is happening here. Right. It just makes it so incredible. It makes that, it makes that sacrifice or that the agreement to be willing to sacrifice so incredibly real. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's always real. You live, assuming you, you marry someone in the military or if you're a parent and you support your child who decides to enlist or become an officer in the military, you accept, a few certain things and some of those things are the possibility that your loved one will die in service to their country and you know and and you accept that and that's just one of the things that when you see that person sign on the dotted line and raise their right hand and swear to defend their country that you know is a possibility but the fact that that possibility is becoming more and more realistic and happening here in the U.S. when they're home, when they're quote-unquote safe, right. is what is especially excruciating for me to have to think about. Um, because, you know, when you're getting ready to deploy your service member and they're going overseas somewhere, um, and you kind of go through a checklist. You go and you make a will. You, you talk about what happens if. And you you start to accept and you live with those what ifs. But the fact that I have to send my husband to work every day where he works on a military installation and now start those what ifs here that he might die trying to get on base to his office because there's an active shooter who's trying to get on a military base or there's someone who got on a military base with a weapon and they go and they, they go to where he is or God forbid I'm on base for a doctor's appointment and there's someone who decides to go in and shoot up that medical office. It's just not something that you're prepared to accept. That's not a reality that we should have to accept. Is your husband ever armed when he's on base domestically? No, no, he, he can't. He can't be armed. There are, there, I mean, there are some. There are right. There are some who are on. There are some who are on. Onto a military base. Right. There are some who are on guard duty, who have who have weapons. Who are I mean, they're military weapons. But he doesn't have a weapon on base that he has access to. No. So now, I think. Not, go ahead. No, they, like they're not allowed to carry all weapons, with the exception of the military police officers and any contracted security guards that are on base. Right. All weapons are pub- are stored in an armory. They're under lock and key. They're not accessible. Okay. So now I think you, I think you said to me that was part of why you guys chose not to live on base or have have chosen or have always chosen or at least now or not or whatever. What's your living situation and why why do you live the way you do? When you um, when you're in the military, you have an option to to apply for on base housing and. The, the military pays the stipend to the service member to pay to help cover the cost of a certain percentage of their, their housing costs. Because what happens is because it's a free market, um, housing around military bases kind of goes up and increases because the demand is for housing is so high. Right. So the military and the government help offset that a little bit. And so we could opt to live on base in a military house um, and be in a completely military community. Um, or we can 
rent a house, or in our case, we bought a house off of base. And we've always chose to live off base because we own firearms. Hmm. And we wouldn't be able to have those on base. We wouldn't be able to have those accessible to us on base. Hmm. I'm not sure what the regulations are. I know that you're not allowed to have them in your home um, when you're on base. So I don't know if you have to keep them in an armory, if you have to sign them out to somebody. But it's a lot of paperwork and hassle to go through. Uh, when you want to own firearms, when you want to have them for your home protection. I mean, you've seen some of my Slack messages in, in our, our, you know, back and forth of the territorial chats. We're very pro Second Amendment. We love yeah. our guns. We go to the range on a regular basis. We have three handguns and I think six rifles in our house in a safe, properly locked up, properly maintained. And properly, so and properly we moved. We wouldn't be able to have those. And properly moved into your house by now, right? Yes, after the safe <laughs> fell on my, my father-in-law in the process of moving there now. I, the shouldn't, house. I shouldn't laugh, but that was all. When you told that whole story, John Seidel style, <laughs> I was laughing my rear end off. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so we, could, we wouldn't be able to do that if we were on base. Now, are you going to, you had talked about putting out a, a contributor piece on theblaze.com. Are you going to be doing that, you think, or is that still kind of up in the air? We're working on it. It needs to get, you know, go through all the wickets of approval before we can put it up. Right. But, you know, I'm going back to my other point. It's just it's excruciating to have to make these kinds of what if plans as part of my everyday thinking. Right. You know, you you when you de- you deploy your service members, you send them away. You know that for eight months they are going to be gone. They're going to be in harm's way, and you build up all of this anxiety, all of this fear and stress, and you cope with it and you deal with it. And you, you always have this little pit in your stomach knowing that something could happen at any time. Yeah. And as soon as they come home, all of that goes away or it should be able to go away. And that's not necessarily the reality that we live with anymore. Yeah. And it, um, it's something that is going to take some time to get used to. All right. Well, well, we love you, Sarah. And we say that we, we say that in, with all sincerity. Uh, and we appreciate what Speak you and your family. Yourself. I know. We I say that with all sincerity. <laughs> we appreciate. I've never known you to be sincere, Chris Field. <laughs> <laughs> I say that with all the sincerity I can muster. How about that? And uh, what oh, your fa- I appreciate that. That's and, good. And the sacrifice that your family has made, and all of the other military families. And I, so, I, I was going to close it up here, but do you think that? Do you think that if if the if we were to arm our Guys who are at the basis who were at the two locations where the chat in Chattanooga where the shootings happened. One was at a an actual naval installation, right? And then the other was at an an, uh, an army or a military recruitment center. Uh, obviously, both of them officially military, but one was a a, a station kind of place, and one was a, a recruitment center. Either way, if those guys, I'm sure you advocate letting those guys be armed. Maybe you don't. I don't. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But um, is that is that the answer what is the answer for protecting our guys domestically i think part of it is first i think it would be up to the service member if the service member wants to be able to carry while they're in uniform on or off base while in uniform they should be able to they receive so many hours of firearm training especially when you're talking about u.s marines they are a rifleman first and then a whatever their job 
category is second. They, I mean, they go through basic training. They learn all about firearm safety. They have to go and qualify. Every single military member has to qualify, I think, once a year on their weapons. So it's not like we're handing a gun to somebody who has no idea how to use it. But I do think that it should be up to the discretion of the individual service member. If they don't want to have to carry their government-issued weapon, they shouldn't have to. But I think that we need to be open to making it up to them. Okay, so the like the if, the Marines yesterday in the situation they are in, or anybody at the at the recruitment center in Chattanooga, you're, would you advocate that they should be able to carry either their own sidearm or a government issued sidearm? Their issued their military issued sidearm, or would you say military issued sidearm only and it's optional? Uh, I guess I haven't thought of it. I haven't thought of it down to that nitty and gritty, but I would have to say that if we're going to let them carry, then it needs to be their own your government issued sidearm just because then there's more of an accountability and there's more of a tracking. Um, because, and plus you don't want to put the onus on the service member to have to purchase their own sidearm and, and have their own weapon if they want to carry, you know, that's like saying go purchase your, you know, you have to purchase your own combat boots. And I mean, there's certain cases where if you want to get a different kind of combat boot, that's something a little bit more comfortable you can go and purchase those, but it's like requiring them to to purchase the basics for their job. So, um, so, so you would. So I would say that it would. Go ahead. I would, I would say it would have to, if they were going to do it, it would have to be a government sidearm because then there'd be a little bit more accountability there. So you would treat it, I would, and, and this is kind of where I am, and would you, I, I would treat it as, and tell me if I'm screwy here. Uh, I would treat it more as a um, like a police station. The police can be armed, but the civilians who come in can't. Or the cor- the courthouse. The police are armed, but the civilians are not. Would you would I mean would that kind of be where you would go with it? On a military base. Well, um, no, I mean like in a recruitment center, like at, at a naval at a, a naval recruitment center or a military recruitment center, or you know, or, or, a, or a military installation of some kind, whether it's a base or a you know a center or whatever. Um. I would probably treat it the same way, depending on what the civilian's job was. Like, you know, if it was just a civilian family member, I would probably say, no, they can't be armed. Like, you know, me not being allowed to carry on base makes a little bit more sense than our military members not being able to oh, carry sure. on base. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even though I, you know, I have my CHL and by the state of Texas, I'm authorized to carry and I've gone through the safety courses and I shoot on a regular basis. I think that there needs to be some restrictions Um when it comes to how we treat our military facilities like that, yeah. but I don't know what all of the answers are. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to let you go and get back to your, uh, your milking of essential oils from the, the bodies of hippies and, um, and hope that you have a <laughs> wonderful weekend. And, uh, we, again, we, mm-hmm. we appreciate what, we appreciate you and your family and, and the sacrifices that our military make. And I don't think it's said often enough. I mean, people in our crowd say it all the time, but it becomes kind of rote and it just needs, we just need to understand these little, this, the thing that happens in Chattanooga is a wake up call. You know, it's never a good thing, but God can do good things through bad situations. And I hope that one of the good things that happens through the situation, not in spite of it, but right through it is that is a better understanding and respect for and concern for the lives of our military men and women and their families. So thanks for what you're doing. And, uh, and, and, and once you have a piece, if you do wind up publishing that, that piece you've been talking about, let us know. We'll definitely post it uh, on our Facebook page and, and on our Twitter feed and all that stuff. 
Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I'm sorry to bring a real serious note on this Friday. Oh, we we do serious every once in a while. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bob. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. Can Can I admit something? Yeah. I was answering emails during that. I was listening very closely. No, you weren't. I saw you. No, I, I was, was watching you. But I was eating pretzels and peanut butter. And I had this moment in the middle of it because I was so hungry, as usual. And I'm thinking, I'm like the woman in the Planned Parenthood video, drinking wine and eating salad while talking about something awful. I was just like <laughs> e- stuffing my face using a back scratcher while you we were having it. a serious you conversation. You stop that right now or you're going to need an ambulance to get out of here. <laughs> Uh, okay, that so, was my transition into Planned Parenthood, by the way. Speaking, speaking of transitions. <laughs> All right. So you, oh, the Planned Parenthood thing. Do you want to do that now, or do you want to save? We have, we have another Billy Hallowell's outrage of the week uh, well, coming up on the show. Do you want to do that? We've got an interview coming up. We could do it in the last segment, or if you want to do it now, we can do now. Let's do our interview and then save the outrage because I might be able to stew a little bit more and get a little more worked up All right. as we go. So tease this interview that we've got coming up because I'm too lazy and I need to drink a Coke. So, <clears throat> excuse me. We have a wondrous interview you today. You can't remember what it was, can you? You're, no, <laughs> I have frantically to, I looking up on his Craig computer. Gross Who did we Shanti, talk to? Shanti okay. Feldman. And sh- I, see, I know. I know. Uh-huh. Well, church to be honest church. with you, the church boys have been on a roll lately. Oh, man. So it is hard to keep track we of how many great interviews we've done. We have been killing it. Um, if you if you all heard, Chris Field had a, a giant meltdown over Mikey Weinstein, Military Religious Freedom Foundation, and like there was a moment where you almost heard a switch go off, and Chris just lost it. But so that was a great interview. I I did about lose it. You lo- you lost it for like twenty minutes, and and actually the interview had was supposed to end, but I just, I was like, you know what? Let's just let it go. Yeah. Let's let let's make like Frozen and let it go because Chris gave us some ratings gold. But but it was good. I mean, we all parted friends by the end too, so it wasn't. Yeah. Uh huh. Um. Anyways, <laughs> kidding. It was good. And but no, we did this interview with with Shanti and also with Craig. And right. you guys might know Craig. He's the founder of Triple X Church, which is an anti-porn uh, ministry and a really cool guy. Um. And then you know Shanti's this brilliant researcher who's done a lot of stuff on marriage. We've covered a lot of her books that she's written. But they have a book together about um you know basically men and how men differ from women and it really i think is a book that's going to help women sort of understand that difference but but it really touches on a lot of different elements of what sort of happens to a man when they see images whether they're sexual images or porn and just what even simpler images do to a man's brain so i'll shut up now and i'll let them tell you about it roll it it's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys. I'm here with Chris Field. And we have two co-authors, two very special people here today. And I've actually interviewed both of them um, before. I don't think that either of you, um, Shanti or Craig, have been on the podcast, on the Church Boys podcast. But you have. we have done interviews for The Blaze. And both of you do really fascinating work. Um, Shanti, you are a social researcher. Craig, you are the founder of Triple X Church, which... Uh, we've done a number of stories on for both of you, and you have a book out, the two of you, and the book is Through a Man's Eyes, Helping Women Understand the Visual Nature of Men. Um, and obviously there's a lot in that title, I'm sure, that piques a lot of people's interest. Uh, let's just dive right in. I mean, knowing everything that I know, and I know some of our readers know about what you guys have done, what what are you hoping, what is the main takeaway for this book, Through a Man's Eyes? 
Well, let me just uh, tackle that first. I mean, honestly, for me, I really want to transform um, and change the paradigm of how women understand the men in their life um, and to be able to support them better. Because basically, this is what women don't realize is this is actually a really difficult culture for men who want to be honorable and who want to honor their wives and their thought life. Um, and a lot of women are completely blind <laughs> to what it is that you men face every day if you want to be honorable. And, uh, and we can't be blind to it anymore. So that's, that is the big picture. Well, and I guess this is a question for both of you, too. And I was going to ask it later on, but that sort of opens the door to this question <laughs> of if you're living. I mean, we live in a hypersexualized world right now, and it's getting worse. I mean, you, you can't even watch primetime anymore without being like, you know, especially if you're a Christian, sort of looking at it and saying, well, what? What what is going on? What did I just see? You know, are men sort of doomed in this culture? I mean, is it? And that's sort of a. I guess it's a strong word to use, but I, I mean, it just seems like a really insurmountable challenge for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a it's a huge challenge. Um, I don't know, doomed, but yeah, I mean, well, I think it'll be dramatic. Why not? No, but I, I do think so. You know, when you when you're selling cheeseburgers with sex, um, I, I feel like the world. The world understands this, or at least the marketers, what we're writing in this book, a lot better than maybe some because they they understand what happens. Um, you know, guys are going to pay a lot more attention when you, when you put that stuff on a screen, even if it is to, to sell cheeseburgers. But I think I think having women understand that, um, and that ultimately, I mean, what we get into in the book was, hey, the world wasn't supposed to be like this, but. God didn't make a mistake to wire the man's brain like this, but we live in a culture where I do think uh, we weren't meant to see all this stuff. And, you know, Shanti, we, we talk in the book, you probably talk more about this, about how the woman, you know, the wife uh, is, is supposed to be the, kind of the only images that, that a husband was meant to see. And then oftentimes in marriages, we see that even shut down. And, you know, I talked in the book about having sex with the, the lights off and how it would just be great to, you know, encourage women to have sex with the lights on because a guy wants to see those visual nature, you know, the images of you, not of everybody else in, in the world today. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think, I mean, it, and it's just, it's not just, and it seems like it's not just men too, but men seem to be much more visually driven. Can you guys explain that to us a little bit? Why that is, what that means, so that people can under, I mean, I think on a surface level, people get it, but you've done research on this, you've looked at it, you've written a book on it. What can you tell us about that? Well, here's to me the most important thing that for me as a woman, when I really got it, it's when I realized how differently the male brain was wired. Like really looking at MRIs of the male and female brain, it's like two different species. <laughs> Our brains are wired completely differently. And women think, yeah, okay, so men are visual and have no idea what happens in the male brain when a man sees a woman, let's just say for the sake of argument, he sees a woman who is dressed in a way that's really calling overt attention to a great figure. You know, he's at the gym and she's wearing, I don't know, spandex shorts and a sports bra or something. Um, and we as women, our brains are wired so that what happens in your brain when you see that image is not what happens in our brain when we see an attractive man. When we see an attractive man, we think to ourselves, huh, he's an attractive man. You know, and women can admire that sight too, right? I mean, there's there's a certain pleasure that you go, okay, that's that's attractive. And some women are very visual in that way. 
what we don't realize is that is not at all what is happening in the male brain when he sees that woman at the gym. And instead, there's actually literally a center in the back of the brain. It's called the nucleus accumbens, and it's activated when he sees that site. He doesn't necessarily want it to be activated. It just is. And it's the same part of your brain that's activated when, you know, let's just say you're really hungry and you haven't eaten all day and you walk into a room and you see food across the room. The nucleus accumbens lights up, and it's, it's this gut-level feeling of, I want that food. And then, you know, then your thinking centers kick in, and you look around, and you're like, okay, shoot, nobody else is eating. I have to wait. You know, I, I can't stare over at that table. <laughs> well, it's actually the same thing that happens in the male brain. He sees that woman. The nucleus accumbens lights up. It's a very biological, gut-level reaction, and he is this instantaneous, and this, by the way, just so you know, involuntary, this is what women don't get, he can't do anything about it, that center lights up, it's an involuntary desire to kind of consume that image. And it's not a desire for the person exactly, but that image. Because if he, if he looked at that image for a while, it would feel good, like there's some pleasure that's released in his brain. And then the thinking centers kick in, and that's where he decides, do I or don't I? And, and many men rigorously make the choice she comes in the line of sight, well, I want to look, but I'm not going to. I'm going to look away. And what we as women don't realize is how much strength that choice takes and how much a man over and over, all day, every day, is having to make that choice many times a day. And when he lives in a culture like this one, there is almost inevitably going to be some percentage of men that get really weary of that struggle and maybe having a hard time with life and looking at things they shouldn't look at because it would feel good and get into a bad habit, get trapped. And one of the reasons we wrote the book is not just so that women could understand their husbands just because he's a normal man and he's, you know, dealing with like everybody else, but also so that if he is having a struggle, she knows how to help him get out of it. Cause we've found that I don't think you can really get free of that if your wife doesn't understand and is condemning you for just having a male brain. What do you think? Because, I mean, you look at you look at porn, and porn is just everyone. I know, Craig, we've talked about this in the past, but, you know, it's everyone. What do you think maybe are some of the bigger things? Because you see a lot of people in society now, and I've had a lot of interactions with people saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with porn. This is no big deal. This is, you know, it's great. I mean, some people think it's great. What do you think some of the biggest misconceptions, considering everything that you've both just said, are about porn in the modern era? I think a big thing is, you know, I hear it all the time, is, is people say it's harmless. Um, you know, all these studies now, uh, I wouldn't even call them studies, there's a lot, a lot of blogs that have been out in the last two weeks or so saying that, oh, porn's not even, it shouldn't even be classified as a, an addiction. Um, and so I think that that mindset that this is harmless, it's not hurting anyone, at least I'm not committing adultery or you know, I hear from Christian kids all the time, well, it, that's how I'm saving myself for marriage. And I think that idea of you thinking you've done yourself, you know, a good thing by waiting to have sex but being, you know, addicted or indulging in pornography, like that's better. And, you know, I don't want to argue between the two of them, but I, I see people that, have grown up watching porn or now are consuming porn on a, on a daily basis. And their disconnection with sex is way higher than say the people that, 
you know, lost their virginity on prom night uh, because they have no understanding of how to connect with a real woman. And I, and I think that whole idea of just, this is harmless, it's not hurting anyone, you know, oftentimes you don't hear that. Well, it's hurting me. It's hurting, you know, I could go on and on about all the other people it's hurting, but I think the effect that it's actually having on you and the rewiring, you know, possibly even of, of, of your brain there it is, is huge, but we don't seem to think that's a big deal. And that's, that's, that's frustrating, you know, because I, I hear that all day long. Like, this isn't that big a deal. Why are you guys picking on porn? Well, and let me just jump in there. For people who say you know, it shouldn't even be classified as an addiction, it's not a big deal. They haven't looked at the studies that Craig and I had to look at when we were doing the research for this book. And, you know, I'm a social researcher, and part of my job is is looking at some of these studies that kind of are so technical they make your eyes cross, right? And, yeah. you know, the neuroscientists debating things amongst themselves. And one of the things that we have found in some of the really the truly rigorous neuroscientific studies that have been done over the last 10 years is that just like with, for example, um, illegal drugs, most illegal drugs, one of the things they do is they build up a tolerance. And, and all that means is a fancy word of, of saying that you need more and more and more of the drug or you need a harder drug in order to get the same high. Well, it turns out that the same thing happens with porn. You need more and more and different and harder core in order to get the same high, the same impact, the same pleasure in the brain. And unfortunately, it leads people down a road of thinking some of this stuff is normal, some of the stuff is harmless. And we all know, uh, no, it's, it's not. It actually causes you to really, as a guy, really kind of, I hate to say the word, but really see your wife or a woman as an object. You yeah. know, it's just that's all that women really become and that is so dangerous for your marriage and and I'll let me jump in just as a, a woman here to say you know the men don't realize they they think oh you know my wife knows I still still love her and I still find her attractive well no actually she doesn't this is incredibly harmful for her and incredibly hurtful for women who simply don't understand why a man would be drawn to look at these images to begin with and it goes back you know, to that brain wiring difference. Women don't get that same pleasure rush. They don't understand the temptation. And they sure don't understand why you'd go back to it and back to it. And so all of this is sort of all wrapped up from sort of the sort of the everyday stuff all the way into the porn addictions are the reasons why we felt like women have to understand this stuff. Well, and, and I think it's important for women to understand you don't want women to look at you as sex objects. Don't dress as a sex object. I mean, is that a fair criticism or a critique? <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah we, it's interesting, like, hearing, you know, what Shanti's learned on this because as a guy, uh, I mean, you go, that woman that's wearing no clothes, surely she wants us to look at her. And yeah. You know, Shanti's kind of convinced me that most women don't understand that at all. And I'm, I, you know, as a guy, I'm like, no, she knows, like, she's falling out of that top. And, you know, but, but maybe she knows that, but I don't think most women know what, what that does. Um, like, I've tried to explain that to my wife. Like, I speak at churches, so I'm not at bars or, you know, nightclubs. So most women at church are dressed 
fine, but right. there's always that person that comes up to me after at the end, and immediately, like, it's so distracting because, you know, she's telling me, she's crying or she's telling me about losing her marriage or her husband's porn addiction or this and that, and all I'm doing is, you know, my mind going, I look at her eyes, look at her eyes, because you just, <laughs> you see kind of, she's coming from a mile away, falling out of her top, yeah. and it's so distracting. So I tell, I tell my wife, like, it's hard for me to have, like, an in-depth conversation when this woman doesn't even realize, like, you know, she's falling out of her top. And it's super distracting because you're like, you know, like, you don't want to look, um, but you're aware of it. And it just screws up your whole, like, it just screws with your mind, like, so much that you're just going, man, if she just knew put a sweater on and this conversation would be a whole lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. well Go ahead. I was just going to say that, let me just also mention what Craig just said is what I hear from every pastor, yeah. right? I mean, that's the, the life of a pastor at a church or a church leader or a church worship team. You know, they're trying to teach on stage and, you know, in the third row, there's a, a woman who just doesn't realize it. And I can promise you guys, I know you, you guys don't believe me, but I've done the surveys on this, so I know that the vast majority of women are just trying to feel attractive and wear what's in style. And because our brains are wired differently, we have no idea there's that center in your brain that's viewing that very sexually. That is not the intent. The woman is just trying to, to wear well, what's they, in style. Shanti, and that's one of the other reasons we wrote the book. It's now, to help her understand this is what happens. Shanti, now the, the women understand their goal is to be looked at and looked at as a beautiful, maybe even sexy creature, but they don't understand what actually happens to us chemically, right? Correct. They don't understand. And let me just be real blunt, because there's women listening to this who have no idea what I'm talking about. But let me just real be real blunt for the ladies listening. I won't make you men say this. I'll say this out loud. <laughs> is, is literally what happens when that center in his brain is activated, he automatically wants to fantasize about you. He wants to picture you naked. He wants to picture what you look like, not just falling out of the top, but without the top. And he ought, and many men, their brain automatically wants to go to a sexual thought about that and to picture what would it be like to be with her. And, he ha and that happens in a millisecond, the way that men describe it. It's not even like literally two seconds. It's half a second or a quarter of a second. It just happens instantly. And that is where... Men are designed as visual, sexual creatures. This is a good thing. This wiring was designed this way to bond a man to his wife. He was never, ever, ever, ever supposed to see these other sites. They weren't supposed to be confronting him. But now they are, and so he has to make that rigorous choice. But while he's making that choice, look at her face, look at her face, look at her face. He's not hearing what you're saying, and he wants to. He wants to be able to not think of you that way, but he's trying very rigorously to not let his thoughts go that direction. Now, what I've just said is horrifying and shocking about 90% of the women out there. Now, what I, what I can tell you is there are a small number of women on my surveys who said, yes, I do want the man to fantasize about me sexually. That is why I'm wearing that. But that's a tiny number. Most women, that's not what they're going for. They just want to feel cute and not realize that cute yeah. has nothing to do with it. Right. So... So the, the 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 thing for me is, and and the takeaway for me on things like this is, what 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 are our next steps, and what do people learn? And and I guess my question is more of a situational, not situational, but 
a question of responsibilities on both parties because as Billy knows and is tired of me saying, I worked, I have worked with thousands and thousands of teenagers. I'm big on the youth ministry movement. That's a big thing for me. And explaining to girls and help them understand, help these young ladies understand these girls, you know, literally girls understand you got to watch how you dress. Right. And, and I use the Chris, I think it's a Chris rock routine with them or understanding don't get be upset for being mistaken for a whore when you wear a whore's uniform because if you're addressed as a police officer, you wouldn't be upset if you were if somebody mistook you for a police officer, right? So, my thing is to them, you have to be careful on what you wear because of what you're doing to these young men. And now we have this this scientific research that shows there's something that happens in the brain. So one, there's a responsibility on women on girls to understand how they ought to be dressing not simply for their own modesty sake as a young woman who, who God created and loves, but also for the sake of their brothers who need to understand, who need, who need all the help they can get, frankly. And then also men have to understand we live in a, we live, we're living in a very libertine culture that says do whatever feels good. And men have to live disciplined lives, right? Like we, we often hear the phrase in a whole bunch of areas, not just sexually. I was born that way. Well, that doesn't excuse it. Well, men are born this way to have a reaction in their minds when they see a uh, an attractive woman. But that doesn't mean that you should act on it. So we have to, women need to dress disciplined and men have to live disciplined and think disciplined and, you know, get some spiritual discipline, I think. Am, am, I, am I screwy or is that where we need to take this? No, I, I think you're totally right on. And, and here's the hard part is because when women, when women don't understand what we've all just been talking about. It is very easy for a woman who, whose brain doesn't work that way to fall back on the understandable thought that it's none of his business what I'm wearing. He shouldn't be looking, right? That's the line of every teenage girl. It's none of his business. Right. And they don't, here's, here's one of the ways that we describe it to the teenage girls is, is I explain that brain wiring thing, right? Like if I do a youth event, I explain, explain the same brain wiring thing I just told you. And then I say, so what's basically happening in colloquial terms is this brain is being constantly stimulated. And they kind of nod and they're like, okay, I kind of get that. And I say, so imagine that you are at the mall. Now, you as a girl, you are very stimulated by, for example, touch. Imagine that you're walking through the mall. And about every five minutes, a guy who is walking by you at the mall runs his hand down your arm. Or, he t- or you're sitting in the food court, and he walks over and he strokes your knee. Or he walks over, you know, veers over, from, over by the shoe store, and he strokes your cheek, or he strokes your back, or he touches your shoulder. And pretty soon the girls are going, ew, <laughs> you know, right? Because the idea of these strangers stimulating in, them in that way, it's just creepy. Right. And, and I say, exactly. That is exactly what it is like when these guys who do not want their brains stimulated this way, they do not want to have this constant temptation they have to tear down. They're just minding their own business. And when you say it's not his business, what I'm wearing, he shouldn't be looking. You're fundamentally misunderstanding how the male brain works. And instead, it is as if you are stimulating him over and over and over in the same way. And he doesn't want it any more than you do. Right. That's, that's a great point. And I think I would just say this, too, because I asked Shanti just yesterday, hey, Shanti, can you write a blog about this? Because um, 
I posted an image about the book, and it says, you know, men are visual and women need to stop being blind to it or something like that. And immediately, like, two comments on Instagram, you know, so are women. Like, I'm visual, too. You know, just that kind of... uh, The moment you say men are one way and say it's a stereotype, women kind of get defensive, some of them, and say, well, well, we're not saying you don't like men um, or to look at men. We're saying it's totally different in your brain what goes on versus a male brain. And I think that's the... You know, what we're trying to convey in this book on a deeper level, it's, we're not just saying, hey, women don't like to look at, you know, any sort of visual things. But for the most part, I, I don't think most women understand the level that, that we're, we're kind of talking about in this book that, hey, it's, it's a whole different level, you know, for a man's brain than it is for you. And, well, it's, it's uh, not just a whole different level. It's actually interesting when Craig said, hey, could you write this blog? And I thought, great idea about, hey, well, women are visual too, right? Because that's the pushback I always get too. And, and, I, and what I put in the blog is, is actually that that is like saying, well, I'm visual too as a woman. That's kind of like a weekend hiker going up to someone who's summited Everest <laughs> and K2 and saying, hey, I'm a hiker too. <laughs> right. And, and, and the guy who's the, you know, the Everest vet, you know, he just has to politely smile and nod and think this person has absolutely no clue. Wow. Let because me, it, there's a magnitude of difference. Yeah. I wanted to ask one more you know, quick thing uh, of you, Craig. And I know that we've talked in the past about how depressing it can be at moments to, to see people continue to struggle through um, addiction when it comes to porn and all that. You know, in, in your work, do you encounter, I mean, if you had to give a ratio of men to women when you encounter individuals who... Um, have a porn addiction, what would you say that ratio is of men to women? I mean, we'll probably deal with with 75% male um, versus, you know, probably 25% women on, on that. And I think... That sort of illustrates um, it, though, too, right there. And that's why I asked you. I, I think it's kind of yeah. interesting. And, and even the women that are looking at porn today, I, I mean, I... I, I don't want to say I don't believe it, that they, they like this stuff, because some have sworn, oh, no, this is amazing. I see, you know, when we do these adult trade shows, and uh, Friday nights are women, it's like a free Friday night for women. And so the porn shows are really trying to attract the female audience. One, to make it probably a little less creepy to walk around when if it's all dudes. But um, when I talk to women at these shows, I'm not convinced, like, Porn for them is not what it is for a guy. And for a lot of the women, I feel like they're there because it's like, I could be the girlfriend or the wife that's against this, or I could just kind of support you in this. And when you really start to kind of pry a bit, I, they're, they're not enjoying this to me, on, on, from what I've seen, on, on a level like their husbands or their boyfriends are. But they're, go, they're more going along with it rather than, oh, gosh, I'm disgusted and, you know, I'm going to separate because you're doing this. It's just kind of, might as well join them. And I think that, that seems to be more the, especially with women under 30, more loose to kind of, ah, sure, fine, I'm, I'm okay with it. And deep down, I don't even think they're, most of them are even okay with it, let alone do they really like watching this. But I think our culture kind of says, hey, might as well just kind of join with them today. Well, and it's also, what is porn? I mean, it's a lot of women, and, you know, probably we might, 
would define Fifty Shades of Grey as porn, right? And women get a charge out of reading erotica um, in, in some of the same ways that men get a charge out of looking at porn because it's stimulating a different center of the brain and it's stimulating some emotional centers as well. And, and that isn't, it isn't that um, women aren't sexual beings. We are. It's just that different things stimulate them. And so, you know, visual porn just doesn't have the same effect on women as visual porn does on men. And for, for a woman, it's maybe a little more comparable to the charge that she might get from reading a romance novel. Hmm. It's, it's that, that, that engages her. It feels good. She may know, she may know, okay, there's no real men that act this way, (laughs) you know, in a romance novel, the guy is always like perfect and beautiful and, When you get into an argument, he says, no, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. let you go until we work this out. Okay, no real men say that because you get into an argument and she says, I'm leaving. He's like, okay, phew, I get a few minutes to think, right? I mean, that's a real man. Right. And, and that's, that's the other problem is that men who are looking at porn, they are looking at a fake version of, the, of what females look at, look like and act like. And they're expecting something that is completely untied to reality, just like a woman who gets addicted to romance novels is expecting and kind of halfway longing for something that is just not real. And both of those things are very dangerous to real relationships. Right. Well, listen, we could talk to the two of you for forever about this, and we want to have you back 100% for sure uh, very soon to talk more and uh, make sure everyone out there, you get the book. We're going to make sure we link to the book in the story where our um, show is embedded on theblaze.com, and we appreciate you both taking the time today. Yeah, thanks for having fun. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. So we are back, and we are ready for Billy Hallowell's Outrage of the Week. I still need to work on a bumper for that. You do. Uh, And you should, maybe you could even use my mom's voice for it, because, you know, there you go. The the bottom line is that this week, the thing that I think appalled the most people, probably, was this Planned Parenthood video, which... Yeah, look, our job, my job is to try to be as fair as possible when I'm looking at these things. And I think the we all know Planned Parenthood is the organization that everybody loves to hate. And right. and really, it's 90% of the time their own fault. But it's just, it comes down, it, well, it comes down to ideological disagreement in the end. It comes right? down the to murder. Who, murder. What? Well, right. I mean, it's the, and that's exactly what I mean. The people who believe that abortion is murder and that dismembering babies in the womb is and, wrong and will the say. Who, and, and, and then the people who are wrong. 
Right. <laughs> people are wrong. Well, the bottom line, though, with these with these these undercover videos, and I do think that this is true, is that, you know, when when you put a video like this together and you and you allege that all these things are in it in this particular video, the claim was that Planned Parenthood is selling organs and that the video right. is a doctor. I think it's Dr. Nuka, Nukatella. I believe that's I how you pronounce it. Yeah, N- Nukatola. Nutella Nutella is, Nutella is delicious. I know, and it's because I have my Skippy peanut butter here, and that's what's on my mind. See, I'm holding Skippy oh, peanut butter. Nice. Yeah. Um, but Dr. Deborah Nukatola, who works for Planned Parenthood, she works for the National Organization and, and I think performs abortions herself, but also oversees um, the clinics. I think her, I forget the name of her exact position there, but anyway, she is in this video. It's about a seven, eight-minute video that shows her talking about um, organs and how sometimes in an abortion if they know that you know a, a company needs a liver or whatever that they might they might alter the way that they do the abortion this is this is sort of what it looks like she's saying in this video now everybody took that to mean oh gosh planned parenthood is harvesting organs to be honest with you when you look at it you don't really know when you watch the full context we can't tell whether or not planned parenthood was selling organs which is illegal fetal organs they claim they were donating the tissue and that she was discussing the donation process and reimbursements for that donation process. Who cares? Right. They're still harvesting that. Regardless of whether it's donation or not, they're still harvesting them. Which is legal. That is legal, though, if you're, uh, if you're donating it. Not, in, not and change the way that you perform the abortion. That is not. Well, changing the way you do the abortion, it's not illegal. It's unethical. Um, well, it's illegal if, and this is where my outrage is, it, the procedure that it sounds like she's describing sounds a little bit like it could be partial birth abortion, which is illegal, right? right. So there's that, right? And But we don't know again because we don't have all the evidence. We have You have an activist group that recorded something undercover that posted it, and it's outrageous. And the reason that it's outrageous, I don't care about any of these other elements. I mean, I do, but we can't prove them. So what I really care about is the fact that a woman, a medical professional who took the oath to be a doctor, okay, right. is eating a salad and drinking wine while she talks about how she uses her forceps to crush babies in the womb. Right. And it's, and it, that should disturb everybody that somebody in this world appears to be so disconnected from the act that they're able to do that. Well, and it's just, it's disgusting. And here's the deal. And I remember, and, I, and, and I'm saying this without a bunch of specifics, but when I worked on the Hill and some other places... There was a bunch of investigations and discussions about the harvesting of organs that goes on with partial birth abortion. And the was this in par- the 30s, Chris? And the Planned Parenthood was a part of it. No, no, no. This would have been late <laughs> 90s, early 2000s. Thank you very much. Yeah, that was a time where this was a big, big issue. So it was, a, it was a huge issue. And the fact is they were harvesting organs and they are continuing to do it. And that's just what's happening. It is a well, huge and, black and whether market. or not they're selling them because they might, they, they may be. They are selling them. Well, here's here's the other. She talks issue. about and, a menu of choices here for these organs. I, I spoke with a bioethicist who told me the other day we did a story on the blaze, which which actually got some really good attention from people at CNN and other people who thought that this guy said some really interesting things. You know, his whole issue with this was if you're encouraging women to donate the tissue, the fetal tissue, it is it could potentially be a way to make the abortion more acceptable to the woman, right? Like, oh, well, you're going to get rid of this problem and you're going to be able to donate the fetal tissue to science, right? And Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to save lives through it. And where my real outrage is, because I know a lot of people know about this story, the apology that Planned Parenthood's president put out 
um, to me was completely, completely bizarre. And this is Cecile Richards. And, you know, I don't know. We probably I don't know if we can play a part of it, but I can I can recap what she said. And she basically apologized for the tone of Dr. Nicotola. The tone in the video was the problem. Um, I don't know that that's the real problem. Right. Well, let's see. Um, I can. I have the quote right here that I right can here. I've got to. her. I've got her two-minute video response. <clears throat> I don't know where it is uh, in the thing. In the it's like halfway through it, probably. I don't, do we have permission to play that? I don't know. It's their statement that they put out there. Their video response. I don't know. We don't have to. You can just tell let me. me. I'll just read it. She said in a video. In the video, one of our staff members speaks in a way that does not reflect that compassion. She's speaking about the compassion that apparently that Planned Parenthood has. Um, and then she says, "This is unacceptable," and I personally apologize. For the staff members' tone and statements, as always, if there is any aspect of our work that we that can be strengthened, we want to know about it, and we take swift action to address it. What is she apologizing for? The fact that she ate a salad and drank wine while she talked about something that clearly Planned Parenthood has no problem doing because they do it three hundred thousand times a year, or yeah. was she? What was she apologizing for? Yeah, well, I and, don't get it. And I I quote all of Pundit on here a lot because he's one of my favorite bloggers out there, and he has a response to this Planned Parenthood. The headline of the piece is Planned Parenthood President. Hey, sorry about that doctor's tone when she talked about crushing babies and removing their organs. But, but isn't that what they're doing? Absolutely. I don't, on one hand, she's saying we donate tissue and that's what we do. We do it legally. On the other hand, we're apologizing for the tone of a doctor. And look, I think, I mean, I, my whole issue is, yeah, it's, it's disturbing that somebody is so desensitized talking about these things because it's not a human anymore to them. They're not yeah. looking at this, I would exactly. assume, as a human. Be, and if they are and they want to have that argument, then there's, there are even bigger problems. Right. Go ahead. I see and your so, finger No, pointing. And so Ola writes here, and I, and I just want to read it because I think he words it correctly. The art of killing and dismemberment deserves better than some wine-soaked rambling about crushing, crushing above and below the chest cavity to preserve the heart, liver, and other vital organs. That's entirely too accurate a description for what's involved here. Three points. One, this is officially a Category 5 clusterfuck, and it absolutely is. A Category 5 clusterfuck for, for if Planned Parenthood's high priestess feels obliged to apologize for anything. I'm curious, frankly, what she thinks the problem with uh, Nutella's... Not Nutella. Nutella's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, frankly, what she thinks was the problem with Nutella's tone. If a fetus is a blob of tissue, who cares if it gets crushed? He's got some other points on there too that are really, really good. But uh, you're right. right. I mean, what what do they care? Who cares? So it gets crushed. What what do you care? And you the mean that the fetus that isn't a baby that isn't a life? If it's a blob um, of yeah, it's a, what is, why are you apologizing then? Why right. is it so callous if it's not wrong? Yeah, if it's a blob of tissue, who who gives a rat's rear end? You know. Anyway, you know, and I think I, I just think that all of this is, you know, I sat through the Gosnell trial and I was in that courtroom and I right. saw what they were talking about, what happened in his clinic. And, you know, I think that many times we're talking about the difference of a few inches. He killed babies after they were born, allegedly. Well, we don't have to say allegedly because he was convicted for it now and he's in, in jail. He killed babies after they were born. What what they do in abortion clinics when it's late term abortion is they kill them in 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 a similar way and it's okay. I mean, yep. it, it's very bizarre. This whole entire discussion of late term abortion is completely disturbing and bizarre to me in this yeah, country. Absolutely. And get, if you want a really good knockdown, drag out fight over and where where the conservative side just totally owned the left the left, look up 
uh, Rick Santorum's debate with Barbara Boxer on the floor of the Senate about partial birth abortion. I was actually there, working there for that debate, and he just totally owned her, and she was flustered, and uh, it, he it was over. I mean, he he won the debate with this uh, this argument over partial birth abortion. It's a pure evil, pure evil. Evil. Now we don't know. We don't know if they're doing partial birth abortion. We don't know if that's what she was. We only have the footage we can go on here. There's a three-hour version of it that I have not sat through. But even from what I understand from that version, we really don't know if they were if they were selling. I mean, we can say we think they were. People are free to say that. But but if we're when we're reporting on it, which is what we we're doing on the Blaze, sure. you know, we don't have the evidence to say definitively. And and you know, Snopes and a lot of other websites out there. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people accuse Snopes of being liberal. Their conclusion was this is undetermined. And I would have to agree that part of it's undetermined. What's not undetermined is that somebody, a human being, talked about dismembering unborn human beings over wine and salad, yeah. allegedly. And just casually. Yes. Yeah. Really, and and really I think weird. that is the real issue is that we have people in this society that are that disconnected. It's, but they're sorry. It's, it, we it's, don't know what they're sorry we, for. And we are sorry. and we are detached from reality again. We are we have become not just we have become immoral and amoral. We have become detached from reality. It's why we have things like this. And I I would not equate Zoe Tour with partial birth abortion. Absolutely not. But it is an example of the entire spectrum of our being totally detached from reality and ethics. That we that we just kind of go our own way. And and this is not this is not a new concept to Christians. They understand. Listen, the Bible tells us there's going to be times when there will be a time when when men's uh, will hear what their itching ears want to hear, and there's going to be a time when they label good bad and bad good. That the immoral will be called moral, and that the truth will be called a lie. And that's and, and I that's kind of where we're heading. Right we're there. I yeah, mean, we're there. Absolutely. So the you know the only way that I can think of to really get through it myself is. Um, Bourbon? To, no, to find a nice purple dress and just wear that around for the week. <laughs> That's what I'm wearing to church on Sunday. <clears throat> all of you, I mean, all of you listening to this in the car with the kiddos on the way to Sunday service, uh, know that I'm wearing my my nicest purple dress uh, to church this morning. So, you're an abysmal creature. I well, I absolutely. Hey, you're gonna wind up going home in an ambulance to keep that up. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> All right, Billy, we better head out. So, Billy, you got any words of wisdom for the peeps out there? Read your Hadith. And your Bibles and the Blaze while wearing some fabulous jewelry.